Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. Now, this morning's show, we had two hours this morning, and it was talking about Amos, and we were in Amos 9, and uh, now we have at least nine hours up on Amos. Although, actually, we don't have the ninth one up, uh, but uh, we will get it up here within uh, nine days, and that will cover Amos, what Basically, one of the things that I was going over at the last of the show, and we'll, we'll give other examples of that here in this show, Amos was talking about the corruption of society at his particular time. The fact is, societies corrupt pretty much in the same way over and over again. They continue to make the same mistake because we're the same today as we were yesterday and God is the same today as he was yesterday. But it's built into the system and that is what theology is all about, the study of God is all about, is to know exactly uh, how the, the universe that God created works, how it functions in the world and uh, how we would relate to the things in the world according to the way it functions. And uh, so we have to know what that is and how that, that operation of God's creation, the law of nature, nature's God, actually functions so that we can, you know, perceive what's going to happen and uh, what is actually a part of the process of creation. Because God isn't sitting up there deciding, well, I think I will destroy these people now, or maybe I'll do that tomorrow, or whatever. God is built in to the system of God. What the theologians of old, the prophets of old, I should use the word prophets to distinguish them from modern theologians. Theology is just the study of God. They were studying God and the God of nature, and even Jesus talks about the fact that nature should reveal these things to you, how God works, how he functions. And if you were to try to form an intentional community, you would run into all kinds of obstacles and they would be the exact same obstacles that were run into by humans in forming an intentional community thousands of years ago. Exact same obstacles that ran into by were run into by Israel when they were trying to figure out how to be a free people. They'd come out of Egypt and they'd already started learning some of those lessons of coming out of Egypt even before. They came out of Egypt, which is what the plagues were all about. We've explained that many times. But once they came out, then they were constantly, like with Dathan and others, they were tempted to go back in. The golden calf was a return to Egypt. It wasn't that they were going to go back and see the pyramids. It was the fact that they were returning to the bondage of Egypt, because that's what 
Egypt means. It means bondage. And they were brought out of Egypt, brought out of bondage, but now they were returning to it and they were doing it by setting up a golden calf. Well, how was setting up a golden calf bringing them back into bondage? What were the arts of the temple that we see uh, Aaron knowing that allowed him to receive the gold that the people broke off and gave to Aaron and then he took it and put it into the golden temple. Well, we have whole articles and audios on the golden, uh, not golden temple, but the golden calf. That a golden calf was just a reserve bank and they were setting up a banking system where your wealth was deposited somewhere else and you had to defend everybody's wealth including your own, which was in the golden calf, or you would be destitute. And so it was a way of binding the people together. That's not the way of the kingdom. That is not the way that God wants you to be bound together, and Christ taught you that way. And, of course, uh, Moses was teaching the people that way, and he says, no, I don't want you to go back to Egypt. I don't want you to be bound by taskmasters or covenants. I mean, that's even part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor their ruling judges. They put the word God there, which is Elohim, or Theos in the Greek, but basically that means ruling judge. And we have all kinds of articles that show you that on the U.S. government website, it talks about the painting in the Capitol Dome raises Washington to the rank of God. He wasn't really raised to the rank of God, but he was the appointer of God's. And that's why the painting is named Apotheos, which means a pointer of God's. And of course, still to this day, the President of the United States appoints the gods of the United States. You say, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. What gods? We don't have any gods. Well, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is the ruling judges of the United States. They say what is good and what is evil. What is right? What is wrong? What is in compliance with the, they're allowed to do according to the Constitution, which is their Bible, and what is not in compliance. They can't go out and start looking up in Deuteronomy and find out what they can do and can't do, or say and can't say. They look it up in the Constitution. And we point out in the book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, which is free online, and we have lots of articles that cover the same topic, that... There were five things that the Bible tells you to put in a constitution and only four of them show up in the U.S. Constitution. So, they're not consulting God. They're not consulting anything but the Constitution and deciding what is good and evil. Including Roe versus Wade and, you know, whether, you know, they haven't decided this yet in the Supreme Court, but in the lesser courts, they have decided that, yeah, guys get to say they're girls and get to act like girls and go where girls go and uh, compete against girls and beat their brains out in wrestling matches um, if they think they're girls. And other people are saying that's crazy, but no, they say, no, that's okay, that's good. It's good to let people do that. And other people are saying, no, it's not good. But it doesn't matter what you say because the gods have spoken. (laughs) Now, you can fight and try to get 
you know, elect new guys to pick new gods to decide what is good and evil according to what you think is right. But the point is, is that in a free society, in a really pure republic, that decision is up to you all the time anyway. You know, if you don't want to hire gays, you don't have to hire gays. If you don't mind hiring gays, you can hire gays. The choice is up to the individual in a pure republic. Some people will say, well, that's not fair. Well, the gays can start their own business. And I, I don't want to just use blacks. If you don't want to hire blacks, you don't have to hire blacks. If if I had a Chinese restaurant and I was hiring waitresses, I would look for girls who look oriental. <laughs> or guys. who or look Because I don't really care if it's a guy or a girl. But it's a Chinese restaurant supposedly serving authentic Chinese, you know, uh, cuisine. It's part of the atmosphere to have a Chinese or at least an oriental looking waitress. Could be Japanese. Most people wouldn't know the difference. Korean, uh, Taiwan, which is now China, although they weren't really Chinese to begin with. There was natives of Taiwan, or Vietnamese. A lot of Vietnamese look very Oriental. So I would want to hire them. I wouldn't necessarily want to hire a redhead to be the waitress in a Chinese restaurant. It's not anything against redheads. I might open up a pub next door, an Irish pub, and then I want red-handed waitresses in there. That's my choice. But they say, no, you have to hire. Now, you could have two people vying for the same job. One of them is clearly more competent than the other. But you may have to hire the black guy who might not be the more competent because he's a minority. What's this crazy? You, I mean, what if I'm hiring airplane pilots? I don't care whether he's black or white, but I want him to be the most competent. I can't give favoritism because he's a particular race. I want to have a guy who's the best pilot in the pilot seat. And those choices are yours in a pure republic. They're not in a democracy. Or they may not be in a democracy. And the way it gets so it's not your right in a democracy is that gods have spoken. So anyway, the point is, is that when we're talking about uh, Amos, they mention gods that they have chosen for themselves. And of course, if you go to Samuel 8, Go and cry unto the gods that you have chosen for yourself. Wait a minute, we didn't say anything about choosing gods, did we? I thought we were just going to have a king. You know, Samuel 8 all about they wanted to have a king. But, uh, you know, I actually should look that up and see what the exact words are. <laughs> so that I'm not misquoting it. But, anyway, the uh, so I, I was looking at a number of other people who were... Uh, talking about Amos and putting... So this is kind of a footnote to what we're talking about. But I'm going to get into another whole area altogether uh, to find out... Uh, let see, First Samuel 8. So I think this will be it. So I'll look here and see what they say. Oops, it's not opening. It's starting to open. 
But anyway, First uh, Samuel eight uh, talks about you know that they wanted to have a king, and uh, you know because it came to pass that the you know the sons of Samuel were not trustworthy, and so the elders, which are the heads of families of Israel. Uh, this said they well we want to have a king because we don't trust these guys and they were actually getting a little lazy because not having a king means all the responsibility falls on the individual families which it does anyway if you have a king he's going to put the burden on you and you're not going to have any say so in it so um, so Samuel told the words to the Lord and uh, you know that that, and God said, it's not because they've uh, rejected you, but because they've rejected me. And he says that you got to tell them the manner of king that he'll have. He'll take your sons and daughters. He'll appoint men over you. He'll, uh, you know, he'll be able to draft your sons and even eventually draft your daughters. And he'll make them wait on his needs. In other words, their labor will now belong to him, at least a portion of their labor. And and he will appoint captains over fifties and over thousands because see the way it was set up under the Republic of Israel is that ten families sat down, they picked a minister, and he was literally their captain, but he didn't have any exercising authority. If he told them to do something they didn't want to do, they could say, I'm not gonna do it because it was a free society. And uh but they're just picking him to kind of be their connection to the rest of the guys. And he might be, you know, a real good strategist and everything and come up with ideas and everybody goes along with him. And they have to learn to do that. And if, you know, uh, nine of them decide to go a particular way, that one can say, I don't want to. You know, I wrote an article about, somebody wrote that uh, Travis uh, at the Alamo who drew his supposedly line in the sand. He said, everybody who wants to stay and fight the Mexicans, Mexican army, Santa Ana, can cross the line and stay. And those who don't want to can not cross the line and can leave. And they, this in an SMU article, they said, this is a great moment in democracy. I thought, that is the most ridiculous thing. And I wrote him a letter and said, what are you talking about? In a democracy, if 51% of the people crossed the line, everybody had to fight. In a republic, 51% crossed the line, the other 49 can leave. <laughs> and of course, there was a guy who left. I can't remember his name, like Rosenberg or something. And uh, he went and opened a meat uh business in Tallahassee. Somebody asked him once why he left. He says, because I wasn't ready to die. Now, everybody didn't die, but an awful lot of the guys, almost everybody died. There were a few other survivors who got out of there. But uh, Davy Crockett was put up against the wall and shot. And uh, there are letters to that effect from the officers that opposed that shooting of Davy Crockett. Um because it, he was, you know, he was a, a prisoner of war. You can't just shoot him. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a Texan uh, a citizen. 
he came there and helped them, but he was from the United States. And actually, he was an agent of of Jefferson uh, at one time. But anyway, uh, I think it was Jefferson. Anyway, uh, the president. And to go down there and see what they could do to help them out in Texas. And he came down. He didn't come down alone. He came down with a lot of men. And so he was the officer of those men. And you can't, you couldn't legally shoot him according to the Articles of War. But Santa Ana did. But anyway, back to the story of, you know, in a republic, you don't have to go along with a captain. He he's elected the captain, but if you think he's going down a rabbit hole or a dangerous place and you think it's a mistake, you can speak up and say, I don't want to go. But in a democracy or totalitarian dictatorship, you elect the guy, he gets to tell you where to go. And uh, and if he elects gods who decide what is good and evil, you have to go by that. Uh, uh, along with that or suffer the consequences and of course that's what a lot of people are doing now suffering the consequences just talk to somebody who's uh, they're trying to force them to get a vaccination at work as a matter of fact I've had a number of people contacted what do we do what do we do well if you were sitting down in the tens hundreds and thousands everybody who was a Christian was sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, taking care of all their social welfare through faith, hope, and charity, like we're supposed to be doing. Mass mandates wouldn't mean a thing. They couldn't force you to get it. You would be in too great a position of power. You wouldn't be in power over other people, but you would be empowered by the fact that you were organized right now. I have sheep out on the desert and I let them into a much larger field and I'm not watching them because I'm in here talking to you. I have to get it set up so that I can do this out in the desert and watch those sheep out there. They may just come home any day, any minute now, just come walking down the road coming home. But they will all be together because they know how to stick together. They're rain sheep. They're not farm flock like you guys. They go this way and that way and oh no, I found some clover over here and everybody's going that way but I'm not going to follow them because i got to eat this clover over here because this is really tasty and it's all about your belly. It's all about what you want. That is not going to be a free society. People talk about that all the time. Is that People get busy and they, they can't show up for a congregational meeting. Well, then they're not going to be free. It's that simple. You don't show up. And you gather with all kinds of other people who don't show up. You've got to start gathering together with people who show up. With ministers who show up for the minister uh, gatherings. Whether it's a call or they gather in person. All the ministers should be financed a trip to come here to the Burning Bush Festival. Because those ministers, now most of our ministers do know each other. But they need to get to know one another and interact and have that connection and talk about things we can't talk about on the phone. And then that connects you with all the others throughout the network. This is what the tens, hundreds, and thousands were all about. This is why some Levites traveled all over Israel. They would move from one place to the other. Why the tabernacle moved from one place to the other? To keep everybody in this unified network. You know, when I had a few black-faced sheep out there, one of them, I've talked about Cora, would 
get sheep to follow her and she would take part of the herd off in another direction. She would just split the herd. And that's why we call her Korah, of course. <laughs> Could have called her Dathan. But uh, same thing. It's leading the people away because she was a big one. She was always a big fat sheep and produced really big lambs, but we never kept her lambs. We might have kept a few that were white-faced, but uh, eventually we bred the black-faced sheep out of the herd, and we we had a couple of white-faced sheep that would wander off too. They had a black spot. I remember one of them had a black spot on her ear, which means that she was probably out of a black. So we started with black-faced sheep because we didn't know any better. We were, but they're no good for range. They've been raised in farms for hundreds of years. They don't know how to come together on the desert. If you don't come together on the desert, you get eaten by coyotes and mountain lions and bobcats. They learn to stick together. And, of course, that's what the Israelites had to do, is learn how to stick together, how to show up when the others were in trouble. So, that's the basics of the kingdom, is that you gather together because you care about one another as much as you care about yourself. I read uh, Chuck uh, Swindle's Overview of Amos, and in it he says they were selling off needy people for goods, taking advantage of the helpless, oppressing the poor, and uh, the men were using women immorally. And he gives a bunch of sites of that in his text. I see, I need to change the uh, little syntax there, but basically we're talking about Amos, He, he cites uh, Amos 2, uh, 6 through 8, and it says there, Thus saith the Lord that for the three trans- transgressions of Israel and four, I will not turn away from punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver. Well, of course, Rome sold the righteous, or Caesar. Julius Caesar, before he became, well, he never really became emperor, but before he tried to become emperor, they stabbed him before he became emperor. But in order to become as wealthy as he was and as popular as he was, he sold the Gauls into slavery. Made millions and millions of dollars. Became this fabulously wealthy person. And they were able to do that because they changed one of the rules in organizing the Roman army, which is contrary to what the Bible says. Of course, they weren't following the Bible. They did when they first started. They they organized the original republic, much along the lines of the early Israel, Israelite republic. But uh, they w- were straying from that. And for, so now we're at, you know, they were almost 500 years old, 450 years old as a republic. And they were deeply into decay by that time. But then one of the worst things is they allowed the generals... If they took a spoil, they could sell that to fund the army rather than they fund the army. Of course, we do the same thing in the United States, except we fund the army by borrowing against uh, the labor of the people. We borrow from the Federal Reserve. Another whole thing, but actually Amos talks about that kind of stuff too. And of course, like I just said at the beginning of the show, that's what the golden calf was. It was like a Federal Reserve. You You... You put all your gold in a central treasury, and that's what, shortly after we had the Federal Reserve, they, the Bay Share 192, they outlawed private citizen owning gold. 
Now, you can have gold now, but you, you don't have it as a lawful title. You have it as a legal title. If you're not following all that, you have a lot to learn. But basically, what they're talking about, they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. So, people didn't care about their neighbor. They would sell their neighbor into bondage. And, of course, we do that. That's what all the welfare in the United States is funded by men who exercise authority. One over they, they call themselves, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans that we're going to provide you with these benefits. They don't provide any benefits. They take away from your neighbor. So what you, they were doing, what you're doing, is you're selling the righteous for silver, or actually you don't even get silver, for Federal Reserve notes and Medicare and Medicaid, etc., and for a pair, you know, you you want an EBT card, and you don't mind. You have become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, and that's what Amos is talking about there. And you can go, you know, this is in Amos two six and seven goes on to say that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. The way of the meek is that I need help. You know, I'm financially burdened. I need an operation, whatever. And I start a GoFundMe. Except you don't have to do that if you were actually sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You take it to your minister. Your minister would take it to the congregation. If it's more than the congregation could handle, he would take it to the nine other ministers he congregates with and say, I've got somebody who's a really good guy. He's a really hard worker and he needs help. You know, his house burned down. We need to build his house. I mean, the Amish do that. Your barn burns down. The Amish, the next day, guys are showing up with lumber. You know, I mean, even up here in Christmas Valley, a guy got hit. He, he was changing lines and moving from field to field with a motorcycle, and he got hit on the road. There was too much dust, and somebody didn't see him and hit him and killed him. And, and his family was devastated. He was really a good guy. Now, all the local ranchers, the local farmers, showed up when his hay needed cutting. They showed up and cut his hay. They never even talked to the widow. They just did it. They just showed up and cut his hay and stacked the bales and put him in the hay lot. Now his son was growing up and was able to, and his dad was still there, his family farm kind of thing. Although they had, it doesn't matter the division. The point is they were all helping one another. There's still some of that in this community. But in Israel, that was the way it worked. You didn't apply to the government. You were the government. But at the time of Amos, no, not so much. They had a king already. And he was in the process of taking and taking and taking, forcing offerings, funding the church with the offerings he forced, the church in the wilderness, the Levites, the high priests. And Amos is coming out and saying that, you know, this is bad. You know, this is why he's talking about this in chapter 2. Made to profane the holy name by this covetous practice. And they laid themselves down upon the claws laid to pledge by every altar. In other words, they're promising. You know, that's the thing. When they, they were doing this at the time of Herod, you sign up. For Herod's system of social welfare run through the temple and the Pharisees. 
And then you had to pay in. That's Social Security. That's the Corbin of the Pharisees. It's a pledge. You promise to pay in, and they promise to help you out based on whatever they have in their treasury, which the word Corbin is also translated treasury. Shouldn't It should be translated welfare. The welfare of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect because it's based on forced offerings. But everybody likes it, so it goes on in Amos, they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God, small g. Because it isn't the God of heaven who decides how that money is distributed. It isn't the ministers who work for Christ or work for Moses in the days of Amos. It's it's the ruling judges. The right hand and the left hand are mixed. Amos 3.10, he also quotes that. And he, he says, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Well, what are they talking about? Well, it's the same thing that Polybius was talking about. When Polybius said that when the people became accustomed to live at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others because they had, a, he says, an appetite for benefits. Just like in Proverbs where it says if you have an appetite for the dainties of the king and you sit down to eat with him, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats because he's going to trap you in a net. He's going to bring you into bondage. But Polybius goes on and says that they will institute the rule of force and violence. And that's what happened. That's what FDR did. You're not taking care of the poor through faith, hope, and charity anymore. I, I don't care if your church takes up a little collection now and then. 80 to 90 to 100% of the charity that is going on in your congregation is by those men who use force. Not like John the Baptist who said share. Not like Jesus who said share. Like Cain who was going to force and plow the Adama like they were doing with Jeroboam and and, uh, and other leaders. Well, Saul started it. But you started it when you elected Saul or elected a president and started looking to government. See, the, the early days of America, we did it ourselves. We wanted a public school. We took a collection and everybody went and built it. The original people say that Ed, Ed Jefferson wanted to pass a bill requiring that there was a public school in every ward of every county. Now, he wasn't saying anything about funding it. He expected the people to build that school, but he wanted to create a statute that either encouraged, I don't know, it didn't have any penalties, so I don't know how it would be enforcing it, but that's what he wanted to, the statutes were telling you how to do it, and he was saying to every Every ward would build a public school. and uh, But it wasn't about funding it. There was land set aside for schools that if it, if you, not so much in the east so much, they had to set it aside personally. But when they started uh, surveying across the United States, they started setting it up. There, there, there was a section of land in every township that was was, nobody could claim it belonged to that township for educational purpose. Now they they would either sell off that land, but then that money when they sold off that land had to go to education, and so you ended up with small schoolhouses all over the place. 
because they saw how important. They wanted you to leave some room for education. And they did. But uh, we've slowly moved away from the idea that we build the school, that we fund the, the teacher. And, of course, that's what Jefferson had in mind. He expected the militia, which is every everybody between the ages of 17 and 45, according to statute today, would get together and build a schoolhouse. It wouldn't have to be real big because it's only serving a ward and there's only so many people living there. But if it needed to be bigger, they'd add on more to it and build bigger. And they would get a teacher and they would pay the teacher to help teach the kids. Now, they might have classes twice a week. They might have classes more often. That was for them to decide. And that's what they did. But we see here in um, Amos, they're talking about uh, if you want these things, you get a government that does it through force. They they force an offering like Saul. Amos 4.1, he also quotes, when I'm talking about quoting, I'm talking about uh, Chuck Swindle. And he says there in 4.1, hear this word, ye kin of Bashan. And we've talked about Bashan. You can go and look in Amos 4, and we cover some of this in that. But Bashan are in the mountains of Samaria. And the mountains of Samaria are the sources of your information. The mountains of Samaria would be Generally speaking, the Levites, not always, but the Levites, because they're the ones who take the time to communicate and find out what's going on here and what's going on there, and if there's a plague coming, if there's a drought coming, if there's an army coming. They're their communication pipeline for the nation, because they meet with the people, and the people tell them what's going on, and then they meet with other ministers, and they tell them, and then they meet with other ministers, and they tell them, and that's a network. Well, the mountains of Samaria is that group that's going to be informing you. But they weren't informing the people of Amos. They had become blind. Blind guides, just like the Pharisees. And he says, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. Well, why do we have to listen to that? Well, they had to then because... They were now building a city of blood. And, you know, I put a link on uh, in Amos 9 showing how Nahum was talking about the city of blood and people will say, and somebody brought it up, that nowhere does Amos talk about a city of blood. Well, they talk about it in lots of places, but basically, you know, it's the same thing that Jesus is talking about, taking a bite out of one another. The same thing that Proverbs is talking about when he says, when you sit to eat the dainties of the king, where did the king get the dainties? Did he force an offering of the people? Or is the king entirely supported by free will offerings? If he's not supported by free will offerings, you're not free. If he can force the offerings of the people, you're not free. Now it's just a question of degree. How, you know, see, originally, the President of the United States could not force an income tax. And income tax wouldn't even be legal except you signed up for it. You just don't know when you signed up for it because you don't know the definition of words, which is what I really wanted to get into, and we may have some time to get into a little bit of that. But I have a few more of these things that were, uh, 
where he's talking about, uh, let's see, in Amos, uh, well, we have uh, chapter 5 and chapter, I think the last one was chapter 8. Was it chapter 8? Yeah, chapter 5 and chapter 8. So in chapter 5, it's uh, verse 11, for as much there, for as your treading is upon the poor, and of course, you are, like I'm just saying, the Poor widow lady next door, her taxes were higher than the guy who built a brand new house. And her house was a shack. How did her taxes get so high? Because they, somebody zoned her rural recreational. She was never, she was agricultural, always agricultural there. And, uh, I mean, she was amazing. She still is an amazing woman. Taking care of livestock, 60 head by herself. Uh, moving bulls around on horseback. She broke her back once when a horse rolled over on her and she just toughed it out. Didn't even go to the doctor. And she's still pretty darn tough. She's in her 90s now. But uh, we finally got the tax assessor to lower her taxes. He says it's a crime what they've been doing to her. You're paying double what other people... Paying more in taxes than all the fish and wildlife put in. Just about more. And they have thousands of acres. She's got tiny little acreage in a shack of a house that a lot of people want to tear down which she she wants to be there we check on her almost every single day and she's doing okay but the reality is is that when they wanted to have green grass growing in the cemetery we were going to all volunteer to go down there and help clean up the cemetery and straighten up each of the graves and put white stones down keep the weeds down and everything like that and somebody got the bright idea, let's just put it on the tax rolls and force all, and they thought they were Christians, force all our neighbors to pay into this. Well, they're forcing the old lady to do it. Every time they want a new bill for the public school, her taxes go up. And uh, she's doing without, in order because they're robbing the widows and orphans. That same thing where it talks about treading upon the poor. You could say robbing the widows and orphans. That, the same thing that we see in the New Testament. To what? To covetous practices. Same thing. It's just using different words to describe the same thing. And he says, you take from the burdens of wheat. You take, you take from her share of, of the food to, to, you know, do what you want to do. And then he says, you have built houses of hewn stone. What? The altars were to be built of unhewn stone. And the temple was built of unhewn stone. Hewn stone means you're exercising authority over the houses of the people. If she were to build a really nice big house, her taxes would go up. She say, I always, I've told the story uh, up in Minnesota, I knew a guy, lived in a tar paper log cabin. That's a, he, he kept the wind out with chinking and tar paper. No siding on the house. Had a bunch of kids. Worked really hard. Kids were all, you know, the, it kind of looked like mom, pa, kettle. And, uh, but they were a pretty good family. Well, he finally saved up his money and he put in plumbing. He didn't have plumbing. And then because he's got, now he's got water running in the house and plumbing and toilets and all this stuff, he, uh, Replaced the tar paper. He left the tar paper, but he put siding over it. Cut out that wind. Make the house much more cozy and all this stuff. And they like tripled his taxes. 
He was just in living with that. And so this old guy, he went and pulled out the plumbing and threw it in the yard and ripped off this siding. <laughs> Told him come back and put the taxes the way they were. <laughs> He'd scraped to save up his money to do this, and then the first thing they do is try to take more money from him. He just, he just couldn't live with it. You all are accustomed to it. Of course, you want to tax the rich more than you. But you get taxed and you get, you get complacent with it. So it's okay. And I'm fine with that. I'm just telling you that that makes you a slave. Through covetous practices like that, you become merchandise because you were willing to take from, and this is what Amos is talking about. He's talking about for as much as you've been treading on the poor, which that, the guy was certainly poor. He wasn't rich because he finally got a toilet in his house. And running water in his house. And got some siding on his house. He wasn't rich. He scrimped and saved and worked like a dog. I can tell you all kinds of stories. The guy was quite the character. But he was a great guy. You have planted pleasant vineyards. But you shall not drink wine of them. Why? Because somebody else gets to take it off the top. <laughs> Which we talked about in Amos. You know the king's mowing. And the grasshoppers, which are the swarms of offices appointed by the crown of the king, which I mentioned Nahum in here because Nahum taught, uses the same phrase in that. doesn't use the city of blood. Well, Nahum does, but Amos doesn't. But he's describing what the city of blood does. He just doesn't use that particular phrase. For I know your manifold transgression and your mighty sins. They afflict the just they take a bribe. What, what do we hear? The trillion dollar infrastructure bill that they're trying to multi-trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Guys who are telling the truth about that, which is not most of the news, are saying that this is going to make millionaires richer and richer and richer. It's all about paybacks and payoffs. And, you know, anybody could show this. News media could go find it out and and put it out there, but everything is so corrupt. But if, again, if you were in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and meeting once a week to care about one another as much as you care about yourself, you would have the network to ward off these guys. We could have lowered that woman's taxes five years ago. But we're the only ones fighting for righteousness. Because we're the only ones talking about it. Your preachers aren't doing it. You know, uh, Chuck Swindle, he doesn't even know what the Bible talks about and he presents himself as a Bible scholar. Of course, he's not alone. And and he was taught by other guys. I don't want to pick on him as an individual, but this is this is nonsense, the stuff that he wrote. But we're showing you, you know, because one of the things that he concluded is that uh, he says men were using women immorally. Well, they probably were, but that's not what they're talking about. They're not talking about using women immorally. They're talking about the church in the wilderness, which has always been symbolized as a woman. The why this is what Proverbs mentions woman uh, or women more than any other book in the Bible. They're not talking about women. They're talking about the caregivers of society, which is supposed to be the church. I mean, the caregiver of your family is your wife and your mother and. Maybe even your daughters, because it's in the nature of a woman to be more of a caregiver. 
You know, these transgender guys, they're, I, I don't see them as caregivers, most of them. <laughs> I see them as irate. Well, we won't say the word. Because <laughs> you see them, you know, uh, they, they don't even know what a woman is. Their attempt at imitating a woman is often terrible. I have seen a few transgender people that, actually a little hard to tell. <laughs> most of the time it's pretty easy to tell. Sometimes it's shockingly easy to tell. But it's delusional. And I don't want to pick on them. I understand it's a dysphoria, but I can I can help them with their dysphoria because I know where a lot of it comes from. And if they're honest, we can find it out. And there's lots of people who recover. You don't have to beat them up. You don't have to be mean to them, but you can help them. But these transgressions they talk about, and they've repeated this many times, and your mighty sins is the fact that you're coveting one another's goods and you're taking bribes. Uh, in your this is why all these guys are becoming millionaires who are in Congress earning two hundred and fifty thousand dollars salary. How do you become a millionaire in four years on that? What'd you do? <laughs> you know, you didn't write a bestseller book. Anyway, they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right, from their right, their right to they. They built the house. Why do you get to take more? Because they built the house. Did you build the house? You've gotten so used to it, you don't even see the immorality of that. Amos, now in 8, uh, verse 4, I guess it is. Hear this, O ye that swallow the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone? the new moon, the festivals and everything, that we may sell corn in the Sabbath and we may set forth wheat making the ephah small. Inflation! Making the ephah small, making the dollar worth less. Like I said, when my parents got married, they could buy a brand new house or a pretty new house with solid oak floors, maple cabinets for $3,500. The same house would go for $300,000 today. 3000 300,000. <laughs> Somebody made the dollar small. Actually, the EFA was is the weight of measure. So it's not just in weights and measures. Uh, you could buy a modius of wheat, 30 pounds of wheat, at the time of Jesus Christ for about 6 denarii. That'd be 60 cents. Silver. About. That's probably closer to 50 cents silver. 30 pounds. What does it cost you now? <laughs> you could, if you had silver dimes, you could still buy the same amount of wheat. But with uh, non-silver dimes, no, it's going to cost you probably nine bucks to buy fifty pounds, maybe more, twelve bucks. I haven't bought wheat in a while, and it's probably going to get more expensive because we're going to see another round of inflation. That we may buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of shoes and sell. The refuse of the wheat. But anyway, so what they're talking about in, in these things, and it goes on to say, drunk in their own economic success and intent on strengthening their financial position, the people had lost the concept of caring for one another. Swindle doesn't care for one another. 90% or more of the charity in the congregation of Chuck Swindle 
is taken care of by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. He and all the other ministers, and I'm just quoting him and giving him the credit, but I mean, I don't want to select them out, are taking a bite out of one another. You're all taking a bite out of one another. You're building a city of blood by taking blood. You're not to eat meat with blood in it. If it was not freely given, then there is blood in it. You are using force and violence to collect the welfare of your society and even borrowing against the future. So you're destroying the whole of your society. So anyway, covered that. I wanted to get through that. But then I wanted to take a look at somebody else was talking about an intentional community and wanted to look at the practical aspects of an intentional community. And, and he wants to let people come out to a piece of ground that he has. Of course, we have a piece of ground. We could do that here. And we could do that through the church. And he's not that far away. Uh, he could be a part of it here. But he's kind of uh, inventing, reinventing the wheel over there with his own workshop. But maybe he needs to learn something there. But anyway, he's talking about the vision is to have a community of individuals, practical, sustainable lifestyle, recognizing the diversity of in individuals who interact in harmony amongst themselves and with their natural surroundings. Each is uh, granted a wide latitude of choices. Now, I'm not, in the kingdom of God, you're given all kinds of choices. I mean, of course, now if you tried to do some things that are really bad, we have to have, you know, nothing to do with you. But uh, you would have your own house and your own place and your own choices, and that would be okay with us. But anyway, he says, each uses the, these choices for their own abode with their own set of duties. That's, that's right. In the kingdom of God, it wouldn't be on the church property, but there's actually a lot of property around us that people could buy up and do it here. But maybe you should be in your area doing it. And so I think that's perfectly okay that each individual does it in their own area. But they would own their own land. Somebody's approaching me. Well, they wanted to get together with somebody and buy property with several people, several families, and buy property. And and how do they do it? How do they hold on trust? That's another one of those calls that people want to make. Well, there's lots of ways to do it. And there's But there's a lot more ways to not do it. And... What he's saying here in the letter that I'm reading from, they would have their own property. They would have their own abode, their own land. And as individuals, they make their own choices and their own families. But that's the whole thing with the kingdom. But that's why you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in free assemblies to start creating the connections necessary for a free society so you can do what you want but you need to show up for others just like those sheep out on the desert if they all go in different directions just want to feed their own self they'll just get picked off one at a time but if they move together and they don't we don't all have to walk in a big crowd but they move together with the shepherd of the holy spirit guiding them they will be able to navigate through a treacherous world and remain free and that, of course, is what the early church was doing in the early congregations that the early church served. So anyway, he talks about principles of building trust. And, of course, you do. 
And uh, all those are good ideas. And he says, practical principles of gratitude, mercy, personal sacrifice, and generosity for the purpose of nurturing and sharing. If people cannot form a network that does all those things while they still live in their home or their apartment or wherever they live, they're probably not going to do it after they get together on the same piece of property or in the same community. It's a a cultivated experience. Anyway, in, in his email, and I want to get to this really quick, he talks about the some people who did a show, and he gives us links to that show. And I can send them to you if you want links to the show. But it says in their philosophy drives our actions. And he talks about a legalistic acts differently than a legalist acts differently than the one uh, like Socrates. And two views are explained in this long video presentation. And what it, it's a video presentation of Giuliani uh, Romanello and uh, Gilad Adsman. And they're both very smart people. And they're interviewed by Jason Bosch. Uh, so you want to look up those names, Giuliani uh, Romanello. And Gilad Atzman, A-T-Z-M-O-N, interviewed by Jason Bosch. So you can probably find that. But actually, it isn't philosophy that drives action. It's values. And I say that because I'm breaking it down one more level. And they had a long conversation. I listened to as much of it as I possibly could because it was a long deal. And I had to got lots of interruptions. Um but values drive action. Uh, as a verb, different between the value and philosophy is that the value is, while philosophy is to philosophize. In other words, the values, that, that is the rock. That is the determining factor for actions. Talking about it isn't really, and of course, this guy who was saying this was a philosopher, and so that he would say that. But it's actually the values, and where do you get your values, and how do you get your values? And that, of course, is what the Bible is talking about, is what is valuable. You know, philosophy may be the love of wisdom, but it may be the love of self, too, because there's a lot of philosophers who are full of themselves. So the, the degree of importance to, to to be given to something... As far as reason is concerned, again, depends upon what you value. If you do not value your neighbor as much as you value yourself, you're not going to cut it. It's not going to work. And and that's the, that's the ultimate message of Christ, is that he valued you and the people who followed him more than he valued himself, and he's willing to sacrifice himself. Now, you don't all have to get crucified. But you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself. And if you're willing to sacrifice yourself, you will show up. <laughs> but one of the things that I was impressed on, and I have to get to this really quick, is that uh, in, in listening to their talk, and I took all kinds of notes, so we may visit it again at another time, is that uh, freedom is the right to choose and the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. You do not want to become a member, an instrument, or a thing in whatever gathering you make. And uh, But they did not understand religion. The one, Juliana, who I have a great deal of respect for, she's a pretty smart lady. But she says, the Jews are priestly people and therefore they needed followers. 
Nope. <laughs> For one thing, religion is how you take care of the needy of society. It's not what you think about God. Priestly means they receive the free donations of the people. That's what a real priest is. There's a lot of priests out there who force the donations. That's why they get kings to force you to contribute. But the actual... And that's what the Jews did. That's what the Pharisees did. They got wrong. They're Corbin. That's why they're Corbin made the word of God in none effect. But the priestly are supposed to be taking care of the needy of society. But they should do it if they do it as the Jews should have been doing it through free will offerings. That's pure religion. Doing it through forced offerings is not pure religion. Even if it's only a portion is forced offerings. So legalism is look up legal legal charity and you'll see what legalism that you think everybody should pay 10% or 20% everybody should contribute to what you want and you're going to force them that's legalism and you don't want to get go down that road you you want pure religion which is unspotted by the world of legal charity in your congregation, there should be no need for legal charity because you've gathered together to take care of the needy of society if they arise with other people as if you cared about them as much as you care about yourself. Within that realm, within that uh, formula, you have the right to choose how to do that. And it's between you and God. And if you don't have that going on in your society, you're not a free person. And you're not going to be free until you want that to go on in your society. So I have lots of notes we can look at uh, on this at another time. But we're at the end of the show. And I see, well, we had a lot of people join us. I don't see anybody asking the talk. And we don't have enough time anyway. So I just want to thank you for coming. Peace on your house. Join us on the Living Network at HisHolyChurch.org or preparingyou.com. And uh, if you want to come to the Bernie Bush Festival, let us know. Till then, peace on your house. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.